FMX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables presented by Maxis Tires, Scott Goggles, and Pro Taper. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables. Thanks for watching, or listening, I should say, and thank you for telling a friend, subscribing, all of that. These are a lot of fun to do, and we really appreciate it. Today, a kind of a shift in American motocross happened at this race, 1989, Gainesville uh, National, the national opener in 89, for the reasons we'll tell you about later. Uh, big things happened at this race, and it really did uh, indicate a massive shift in the racing scene. Thank you to Liet for doing this, uh, at Liet on, um, on social media, and also whether it's the neck braces that they've refined and redesigned over the years, motocross gear, mountain bike gear, they are simply involved in the state of getting you safer out there uh, no matter what you ride. They are they have the flex lock boots, they got the helmets, they got uh, goggles, they got all of it head to toe. The solitaire guys run Liet as well. You've seen it out there. It's it got some really cool aqua blue stuff as well. And the best part of the folks at Liet coming on board the show is that if you send us an email using the contact form on pulpamex.com, we will give you a deal that you can order directly from the folks at Liet. So thank you to those guys. Uh, Guts Racing, uh, Maxis, Scott, and um, Decal Works all on board with us. We'll tell you more about them later on. And uh, we're also going to have Davey Coombs on because DC was at this race, wrote the race report, shot the photos, all of this stuff. Uh, so he was really the guy to talk to for it. But with me to at first to talk about Gainesville 89, the Jason Wygant. What's up, Weech? Yeah. Uh, Steve, I think this might be, in my opinion, in one day, like the most stop, the most pivotal race that you could have wrapped up in one day, maybe ever in the sports history, because multiple things happened. Old schoolers are going to be like, nah, the day that Hannah showed up and beat Marty Smith, that was it. Or whatever it might be. Or Jeremy McGrath winning Anaheim 1. Or Carmichael beating McGrath eight years later. But multiple things that were massive happened here. So I honestly think that if there's one race ever that had the biggest impact in the course of history in the sport, I really think 89 Gainesville might be it. it it's possible. It's possible. You look at, you know, Hangtown 91, Dowd Henry, but it was a complete mutter with one moto. Uh, you, you talk about Marty getting beat by Hannah in 125s. Yes, that's something. You talk about uh, McGrath winning Anaheim in 93 to go on that run. That's something. That's one class. This was both classes uh, that you were just like, what just happened? And, uh, yeah, you have a case for it. Absolutely. The only thing that would have been more fitting if this had happened in 1990, because it would have been like a nice round number to say, like, it ended one decade and went to the other. This one was 89. We actually did Gainesville 90 with RJ a couple of months ago, uh, which was the full circle, him coming back and finally winning. But what makes this 89 one so significant, it's the multiple things. It's. Rick Johnson, who is dominant, goes out with a wrist injury that would effectively ruin his career. He would come back and win a few more races, as we said. But his dominance was over. Uh, it shifts the power to Jeff Stanton. But at the same time, Jean-Michel Bell wins 
no one, I don't believe in the industry at that time, thought that a MXGP European rider could come over and win races in America. And Bale would kick that door down completely. And that would change the sport completely because now anyone from anywhere can win. We've seen it a million times. And then, yeah, the other class, the 125 class, like Mike Kudrowski and Damon Bradshaw are not on the radar one year earlier yeah. going into this race. No, Bradshaw um, comes in Millville 88, turns pro, gets fourth, which is amazing. But then Washugal Binghamton doesn't really back it up. He has okay finishes, you know, but not, doesn't really back up that fourth. And, you know, was, was an up-and-coming star, but I don't think anybody thought, hey, he's going to come out the Nationals and swing against uh, George, George, uh, George Holland, who was the defending champion, Eric Kehoe, right? These, these vet guys that, that were in the running. And, and then, yeah, guys have been five, six years the same guys kind of battling. Cooper, Kehoe, uh, Holland, as you said, had been the Donnie 125 Schmidt, guys for Donnie a while. Schmidt, Donnie Schmidt was a privateer, but he was on a Honda, so you knew that it was good. Yep, yep. Uh, and then the 125 class was pretty pretty crazy also because Mike Krodowski wins it. And I just remember well, a couple things about this race. First of all, Gainesville was always a weird one. It was in March, right around Daytona, and it was always like a month or so before the next national. And we and I was still be, um, I was a mechanic when that was still going on in '97. So yeah, you're prepping and then you're going outdoors and then you're taking that all off and going to Supercross the next week. And so it definitely was a little bit weird. Um, and also. This particular year, I was with my dad. Uh, we drove Canada down to Florida to go riding, and we were at Kroom, the world-famous Kroom in Florida, Sand Pits. We went to Miami Supercross first. We saw RJ's last-ever Supercross win, so we were mm-hmm. there for that. And I believe the only Miami Supercross ever, I think. Maybe there's one more. Um, and then the next week, we went to Atlanta to go watch RJ uh, fall uh, with a lap and a half to go and Stanton win his first-ever Supercross. And then we went home, so we weren't at the Gainesville 89. But I do feel like I was watching these races around this era when things went sideways, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty wild three-week span we about it. Johnson becomes the winningest Supercross rider of all time, then finally goes down and finishes second, and Stanton wins his first race. And then the next week, Johnson is effectively eliminated, all in a three-week mm-hmm. span. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's wild. Yeah, so you were there, and you, did you do some riding? While you're there too. Yeah, I did some riding. We were riding uh, KX80s and KX125. And my favorite—I've told this story before—but my favorite rider of all time was Mark Barnett. Uh, maybe Ross Peterson was the same. Let's say equal. But they were two of my favorite riders ever. And then Barnett was making a comeback with Tough Racing in '89, and I was pretty stoked. I was pretty excited. I was pretty hyped. I thought this—you know—I mean, he'd been off for a little bit, but he's still pretty young. And, you know, he's such a hammerhead. I'm like, well, this is going to go, you know, he'll do well. Like, I can't wait. And I got his autograph in Miami 89. So that was cool. And then um, he absolutely weeded himself uh, in Atlanta on an easy double and got carted off, like, on a stretcher. And I, I don't know if he ever raced again. He, di- uh, he, he didn't, I don't know if he ever raced a Supercross again. I think that was his last Supercross ever. So a young Steve Mathis was crushed at seeing Barnett Jeez. crash on a pretty easy double. But the week before, I was at Kroom, and he passed me. I was on a KX80, and he went around the outside of me, and I just stopped on the track. I was like, oh, my God. Barnett just passed me. And then his mechanic threw some answer handlebars in the garbage, and I grabbed them out of the garbage right away. And, oh, uh, I got to. Yeah, yeah, got All to. Right. I don't know whatever yeah. happened to him. But, uh, yeah, so it was really cool to, to see my hero there. I, I don't remember. I think I was too scared to go see him at Kroom when he was there. But it was a very popular riding spot for, for a lot of guys. And uh, Barnett was out there hammering laps. So 
it was really cool. Barnett did race this Gainesville race as well. And 13th overall, not bad, 15-11. You know, he'd been off for four oh. years. I mean, that's that's okay. Better than I thought. I mean, it, I feel like this attempted comeback was considered a complete disaster. That wasn't as bad as I thought. No, no, absolutely. Uh, when I saw this race, though, going back to the, the importance of it, when I the first time I saw this race was I think I was – I think I was coming back from the trip. I don't remember exactly how, but how I found out that this race happened, Weege, and I didn't have Moto World, you know, we didn't have any of that in Canada, I believe was a cycle news that said, you know, Gainesville, uh, Bale wins, Kurdowski takes 125s, and they're on the cover, and I think it was a few weeks after the race, and I was like, what? Like, what? Just blown away, <laughs> man, because I'd barely heard of Mike Kurdowski, and I, I thought Honda was like... I'm like, Honda hired Mike Kudrowski? Like, what? You know? So odd. Yes, because uh, in Kudrowski's case, he didn't race 250 Supercross, obviously, that year. It was 125 East, and I think there was just the Miami and Atlanta rounds, right? Mm -hmm. So he'd only raced two times for the team, and I don't think he actually got pretty good by the end of the year, and I think Bradshaw beat him by, like, one point for the 125 East title. Mm -hmm. Um but I don't think the results at those first two, Miami or Atlanta, made you think like, oh, something's going on. This Kudrowski guy is going to be something. I don't, I don't think those first two tipped that off. No. So actually, I think it was Ty Davis who uh, Bradshaw was battling with the most at those first two. Um, yeah, that's but, a, the, we were also at yeah. the Bradshaw race where he crashed four times and still won in Miami. Uh, yeah. All time. Yeah. All, all time. That was the Miami. Yeah, the Miami race in the sand. It's, look it up on YouTube. The Bradshaw run is unbelievable. So, yeah, as far I remember how I found out about this. This is so bizarre. So my dad, as you know, worked at Bell Ray, and the AMA must have been doing some service when I think this would be maybe this early fax machine days, I think. And he he would occasionally come home with these pieces of paper from the AMA because, again, Bell Ray would get this stuff and nobody there cared. Like Bell Ray was not, <laughs> you know, in like 1979, Bell Ray was like all in on motocross. And I think by 1989 – they were, you know, I think they still sponsored Team Kawasaki and Morty mm -hmm. and Lachine, but there weren't a ton of moto people there at that point like there had been earlier. And long story short, it's actually because the the son of the company's owners, um, who was a huge, huge, huge motocross guy, that's why they were so big, he actually died in a, in Italy, I think on a scooter. Uh, oh. I think he'd been hit by a car. Yep. Yeah, and this is like late 70s, early 80s, and that's why Bell Ray had this. In the 70s, they were the number one. They were everywhere. And then by the 80s, they'd kind of, they were still had their Cowie relationship, and that was it. So, anyway, they were still getting these AMA, whatever this mm -hmm. was, a fax. And my dad would just come up with these pieces of paper, and it would literally be like two sentences and results and point standings. <laughs> so, I remember getting the one with Stanton winning, and I was like, oh, I guess you could see that happening because Stanton had finished second a bunch, right? Like, hey, he wins one. Um, but this one, Johnson is out, and I did some math, and I'm like, oh, it's whatever. He'll come back in a few weeks, and he'll take over again. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, and as far as Bale winning, I know it was supposed to be shocking. To me, Bale had been pretty good in the early Supercrosses yeah, this year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So I'm like, oh, he's motocross guy, and he won, and I, I, they split the motos. He went, what, 1-3? Yeah, 1-3 at Gainesville. Yeah, yep. So, like, I see a 1-3 and Stanton goes 2-2. Two, two. I'm like, yeah, I can see that. But um, I guess at the time it wasn't something people were seeing. I guess it was absolutely yeah. insane shocking 
that a European had won an American national. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think it pretty pretty much was right. Uh, by the way, too, uh, Wardy goes five one. It's his first race back since Anaheim when Weech he injured. Uh, this time it was a broken foot. Okay, yeah, foot. Well, foot, foot ankle, ankle, whatever. Like, <laughs> I just I knew you would guess it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I think he wrapped his foot around the frame or something. Like, foot came up the peg. What I like is, as we're saying, yeah, this is like a whole new era is starting like immediately. Like, we're going to switch to Kudrowski and Bradshaw and Stanton and Bale real quick in like a one week span from the 80s. All mm-hmm. the 80s guys, Osho and RJ and Glover, they're all starting to age out or whatever, except one guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Wardy would just still be there the next year. The year after, yeah. still winning races, still battling for the title. It didn't matter what happened. Wardy was still going to be there. Yeah, somehow Ward's underrated. Somehow Wardy's underrated. Yeah. I don't even know how, but yeah. he probably is, right? Um, yeah. So this is the race uh, that changed Rick Johnson's life and career. You know, you, you and I have both become friends with RJ. I've done some great stuff with him. You've talked to him in, in private, I'm sure, many times. Danny yep. Storbeck lands on him, breaks his wrist, his right wrist, the throttle one. Um, you know, he does come back to win Gainesville 90. We did a re-raceables on it, like you said. And he wins Unadilla later this year. Never wins a Supercross again. He's never the same. The the sliding doors of how great Jeff Stanton would have been had RJ not been hurt. I mean, you can go on and on about that. But, yeah, I mean, we years ago, I tried to do a podcast with Storbeck. Uh, Ali Seymour knows him and uh, didn't want to do it. Doesn't want to talk about, you know, his racing. And Ali said he's kind of kind of haunted by this RJ stuff, you know? Yeah, it's unfortunate. That makes for good drama and good theater. And for those listening to this show who aren't familiar with all this, that really pounds the point home. But from a human standpoint, that's a real bummer, right? This is uh, almost, you know, 30-some years ago, uh, 35 years ago, whatever it might be. That's terrible that he really feels that way about it. But at the time, it was a huge deal. And I would think most people listening to this show are old enough to know how big a deal Rick Johnson was. But uh, it was as big as anybody is. You know, this would be different than if this happened to Jet Lawrence or Eli Tomac or mm-hmm. Jeremy McGrath Same or Ricky Carmichael or yep. James Stewart. It's that level of, oh, my God, you did this. If Just imagine if a privateer had landed on Tomac at Denver, and that's why he didn't win the Supercross title this year. Uh, that would be the only thing you would know that rider for. That would be his calling card. And unfortunately, that's what happened to Storbeck. Yeah, and even though Storbeck gets fifth overall in this day as a privateer. That's crazy. Court. He beats I had not riders. known that until yeah. we were talking to Davey. I never looked that up to yeah. see that he actually had a great day. Yeah, yeah, I had a great day, right? Um, but yeah, the, the things that Bale had to go through to win this race, Davey's going to tell us about that. Um, and, and Davey formed a friendship with JMB early, you know, before a lot of yep. people did. And, and, and again, um, Bale faced a lot of adversity over here from, from different media people and announcers and things like that. And the guy had Starbuster on the back of his pants for this race. I mean, just just phenomenal stuff. Uh, and then and then Mike Krodowski, again, takes the win in 125s. This might be, Weege, this whole season. I went back and read, I think, every cycle news from this uh, years ago. And I the 125 motocross season might oh. might be one of my favorite seasons of all time. You got Schmidt as a privateer in a Honda. George Holland is actually leading the series before his shoulder goes out. So you want to talk about the kids and all that, and I agree. 
But Holland is leading and defending his number one when his shoulder goes out at Troy. You have uh, uh, Brad Chokardowski. Larry Ward wins a race as a, as a sort of a semi-support guy at Southwick. You have Mike LaRocco. Um, no, sorry, LaRocco's in the 250 class. You have... Um, uh, no, 89, I think LaRocco's a Yamaha. Yamaha guy. Okay, yeah. Guy. So LaRocco's yeah, in the mix, uh, doing pretty well. That's right, he was still Yamaha guy. It's... It's and, a, it's and a great no, our, our favorite rider, our favorite rider on the Elite Erasables, Guy Cooper, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Coop. Coop comes back. I, Coop doesn't race this race, I don't think. I think Coop is a uh, broken leg, or is that the... the, the no, he, that was year before. Year no, before. he gets third here. Oh, it's okay. All right. Bradshaw, Cooper. Yeah. All right, so Coop's, um, Coop's in the mix uh, as yep. a factory Honda rider. Um, yep. And, yeah, you just you look at the names and you... And, you know, this is Kehoe's last hurrah on a Suzuki, right? He becomes a, loses his factory ride after this year, uh, never yep. gets it done, but is certainly like an amazing rider, placing great results. And the 125 class from 89 is fantastic. I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, work at Yamaha with guys who worked with Damon this year, as in John R. and Bob Oliver, and they said he was unbelievably the best guy. But uh, Weege, he kept crashing. He was taunting Kurdowski at times. He was slowing up and letting Kurdowski by at Redbud, then passing him again, then looking back and slowing up, and then crushed his pipe on a rock and had to pull in for a new pipe. Um, yeah, just one of those things. Yeah, I think this series might be and, – and by the way, we also did a rebrace with Kudrowski if you want to learn more about his journey to this title. Um, we, we think – you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. I think there might have been more points left on the table in this 125 title than any other season ever. I mean, Kudrowski's having some bad races. Bradshaw's having some bad races. Cooper's having some bad races. Holland's having good races. He goes out. I mean, they all left so many points on the table. I don't even understand. Kudrowski wins the title over Bradshaw by like three points or something, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Bradshaw had so many crashes and DNFs <laughs> and bike problems. So what that means is it's not like Kudrowski is going 2-1 every weekend either. I no. mean, these yeah. these dudes were all over the map. So, yeah, just a all-time wild one. And uh, it's also, you know, Cooper gets dropped by Honda at the end of this. You know, I'm sure they considered it his job to win this title, not Kudrowski's. Kudrowski was, I think, as he told us in his re-raceables, you know, he wasn't even on the factory factory team. Yeah, right? I, like, dude, I'm still so confused by all of that, right? Yes. <laughs> It was like Cooper and Holland were the factory guys, and Kudrowski was and Larry Ward were something else. I don't even know. Uh, so it was Cooper's job to win this title. He didn't get it done. And then I think that Honda dropped him, and I'm sure they're like, well, that's it. You had your shot, and then he goes to Suzuki. And I'm sure no one thinks that's going to be, huh, let alone an upgrade, not a parallel. Uh, but Cooper does come back the next year and win this title and gets it done. But, yeah, it was pivotal for all those guys. Holland going out, Cooper not getting it done, Kehoe not getting it done. It was like out with the old, in with the new, and that's Kudrowski, Bradshaw, Ward, LaRocco, and the guys we know throughout the the next decade. Yeah. It. Uh, by the way, we I've reached out to Cooper to come on a relay to Bolson, never got a reply. So yes, we have tried. Yeah, I mean, we have tried. We the, we need the, the star of this show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, Bradshaw, how does he end up not winning this one? By the way. Um. Yeah, I'm not really sure. He, he like wins a moto, doesn't he? Yeah, he wins a moto, but I think yeah. uh, I think what does he go? What does what does he end up at this one? Um, he has yeah, a, and then Davy. I think Davy explains whatever happened in moto too. But yeah, yeah, it's just it's, uh, by the way too. It's uh, I'm talking about the Storbeck thing with um, with RJ Stanton's quoted in Cycle News as saying that RJ went straight 
and Storbeck got sideways by accident on two ruts and jumped into oh. RJ. And then Storbeck is quoted in the thing as saying that RJ was the one that went sideways into him. So, Ooh. yeah, we never quite know. Uh, Bradshaw went 1-9. Such a Bradshaw score. There it is. There it is. That's... He crashed and finished ninth in the second. That's what they said. Yeah, 1-9. Just so many points <laughs> left on the table. And so honestly, many points. <laughs> oh, my God. I just remember reading Cycle News every week and just being like, what is going on? There was one where I think he and Titchener collided in the air, and he, that cut his brake line. Yeah, he had a rock in his knee cup. He had the smash pipe that you talked about. Um, and then I think it got to the point where like he Cooper and uh, Kudrowski like hated each other, like hated each other. I, I just, the Yamaha guys were like that day at Red Butt. I mean, I, I ate lunch with these guys every day. So I just pumped them f- for information about <laughs> all the, the Bradshaw stuff and, you know, Glover and everybody else. They were like, he was so fast and he just kept slowing down and then passing Kudrowski back and then looking back and passing him back. And then they just oh, kept God. saying, what are you doing? Win the fucking race is what they were telling him. And and then, yeah, he just smashed his pipe, and then that was it. He limped, around, is... limped around to like a fourth or fifth or something because he had no power. But, yeah, uh, you know, amazing, yep. right? Yep. Um, yep. Sound, sounds about right. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's pretty crazy. But Gainesville 89, yeah, just a, 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 an incredible race. Um, you know, I do have some great categories for this one because if you go back and look at some of these guys, it's pretty, pretty surprising um, how well some of these guys did that I had no idea. So we'll get into that in a little bit here on the Lee at Re-Raceables. Thank you to Max's Tires. MXSTs developed by McGrath. He's been on the Re-Raceables. Uh, he was great. We did 98 Phoenix with him, and I think we did one other one too, uh, an outdoor one. Oh, 95, his first national win I think we did. We picked his first national win. We had the, uh, the Supercross return in 0506. Okay, and then I think we also picked his first national win where he showed everybody, like, hey, I can still, you know, I can ride outdoors. That's right, which was Gainesville also yeah. Yeah. Uh, six years after this. Which, right. by the way, I've said this a million times. If you go from <laughs> – that is the fastest – it's probably the fastest four years in the history of the sport, 89 through 93. I mean, entire careers, legends came in, left, gone. Like, that four-year span from RJ89 – to McGrath, 93. Like 12 years of stuff happened in that time. Yeah, you have a great point. Yep. Stanton, Bradshaw, and Bale's careers were encapsulated within those years. <laughs> within those years, come and gone. Right, yeah. Literally. Yeah. I mean, their entire run was 89 through 92, and that was it. Yeah. It's, it's insane. You think about the length of careers that riders have now. Uh, you know, when you see, here's Ken Roxon almost winning over the weekend at SMX, right? Like, how long is it? <laughs> I'm doing research on Ken Roxon. I'm like, yeah, he's, this is like his 11th year, like, as a guy that could win races. Like, but 89 through 93, between RJ getting hurt and McGrath coming in and then just, I'm going to win everything all the time. Uh, changed everything. But there was a wake left with JMB. JMB did enough in his short time. I, I mean... I've never had anyone tell me this, but we all assume that the reason other dudes got rides from overseas is because of bail, right? That has to be the case, right? I mean, yeah, I think it's, the, it's you know, we saw the Chad Reed thing with Australians, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I would think so. Yeah, because it leads to, uh, I think Pashone just randomly wins a, uh, maybe in 93 or something, he yeah. randomly wins a Supercross. He wins San Diego, but um, he had told me, I did a podcast with him, it was really interesting, he said that, like, Mitch was that was he was on Mitch's radar even in '93. He was getting yeah. help from Pro Circuit. He was mm-hmm. he was riding GPS, but keeping in track with Mitch every year. It was always planned he was coming over. You know what I mean? It was always a thing. And and I got to think Mitch, 
you know, who knew Bale and helped Bale and, and all that was, yep. was had the eye towards the French guys. Yeah. Well, then there you go. Yeah, you have to give credit there. Bale does it. Bale is one in a million. He's, I mean, you could make a case that he's the best rider ever. I know some people would be shocked to hear that, but they're, they're, you can make a case. Anyone who was around in these years would say like, yeah, I don't know, man. He was unreal. But another French guy doing it, and partially because Mitch had already experienced this because Bale was good, and as you'll hear from Davey, Mitch was the one that was really making it happen for Bale. Him and DeCoster, certainly not Team Honda. Uh, then Pichon doing it. Then Pichon goes to Mitch's team and wins back-to-back titles. And then the die is cast. We've had two different French guys come over here and win, and now it's like, anybody? Anybody want to come over? Yep. We know that this is doable. Matthew Lelos, come on down. Yep. 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 Uh, 100%. I mean, it just got out of hand with the French guys, <laughs> but it all starts with Bale. So we'll never know. Koizimoto, uh, Koizimoto, come on yeah, down. Yeah, Ben Koizimoto. In, insane. Yeah, Matthew Lolo's bumping uh, Budman off a of team. Oh, Suzuki. you're still mad about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, screwed Budman. <laughs> but I will I will say, like, we'll never know. Reed, Albie, a lot of these other guys, GL, does that happen without JMB? I don't know. Like, you know, by GL, it's almost... 10 plus years after this so so i would assume at some point these guys are mm-hmm. coming over but this is a hundred percent what kicked off probably half of the good riders we've seen in america the last 20 years are foreign riders and it all started with jmb there's no way albie's coming here in 1995 no chance yeah probably not nope no no nope. no it's all because like well jmb did it so maybe this guy can all right, Maxis Tires, by the way. Uh, yep, and mountain bike tires, light truck tires, trailer tires. Thank you to the guys at Maxis for coming on board. Decal Works, Popham X23, Ron and the boys down at Decal Works, making graphics for Weege, myself, Kiefer, uh, and also Red Bull KTM and uh, Husqvarna uh, Off-Road. Speaking of Red Bull KTM, uh, Cooper Webb had a nice dig at me today on a group text, Weege. Really good. Props to Cooper no, Webb was for, great. for that yes. dig. Yeah, uh, ma- making graphics for his bike uh, over when he rode for Red Bull KTM, of course. And uh, yeah, Pulp Mix 23 is a code to save with those guys. They can make it all for you. They can design it. All of it at, uh, at Decal Works. Pulp Mix 23. Use that code to save. And Liet as well, of course, uh, at Liet on social media. And uh, uh, please check out Liet, Liet.com. L-E-A-T-T, Liet.com, for uh, safety gear and gear and more uh, for uh, for you and mountain biking or dirt biking. All right, do you want to uh, talk to Davey Coombs from Racer X? Shall we do that? Yep. All right, here's uh, here's DC, who, as we said, is way better at talking about this race, uh, maybe talking about any race, than either Weege or I. And uh, he's got a lot of really interesting things to say about Gainesville 89. Here we go. Liet Reraceables, Davey Coombs. All right, everybody, we've... Uh, Weege and I were not at Gainesville 89, as we've been talking about, but we do have a man on the line who was there at this epic shape-shifting moment, maybe, in American motocross, Gainesville 1989. He wrote the story for Dirt Rider. Davey Coombs, what's up, DC? Just uh, enjoying a rare weekend off and uh, uh, glad to be done with one season and getting ready to start a new one. So, yeah, yeah. Love talking about the old school, though, and Gatorback 89 was probably the most eventful single national I've ever been to. Really? Yeah. It, it, I mean, the the timelines and the, the, sh- the everything that moving coming in and moving out, uh, yeah, it, I can imagine. I imagine you left Gainesville at the end of the day going... What did I just see? Like, uh, let's let's start with RJ. Uh, you know, he 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 lost the week before in Atlanta. He won five in a row. He lost the one week before. He fell late. Jeff Stanton gets his first career win, but that's not a problem because RJ's still the man, and he got a huge points lead. 
except Danny Storbeck, who is still, from what I hear talking to people who know him, kind of haunted by this. Uh, Storbeck lands on RJ in practice and breaks his wrist, and RJ is never the same again, Davey. No, and, and obviously it was a huge moment. Like, it was that that uh, uh, ground-shaking, unbelievable, you know, I didn't see it. And I know there was a lot of back and forth between RJ's version of what happened and Danny's. Because Danny was a really good privateer. He's mm-hmm. actually a, on a support rider, even. And um, also has a little place in Loretta Lynn's history. He's the only rider to have ever won three classes in a single year. Um, they used to let you ride three classes back in uh, the first couple of years. And after Storbeck swept everything, we changed it in 1984. So he's got that little carve out. But, um, you know, according to RJ, uh, Danny came down on him. According to Danny, RJ came under him. And it wasn't like a big triple or a step up or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was kind of a jump going into a corner. And, um, you know, I didn't see it. There was no video. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it, I, I know that recently, I think when RJ made a trip across the country with his father's ashes, you know, right when COVID uh, started, he stopped at Saul Danny in Texas. And uh, I think they cleared the air. And, you know, it's, it's a little better, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that one era ended and two more started at that exact moment. Yeah, we were talking right before we called you. You know, the big story here is going to be the JMV win and what that eventually would signify. But it's hard to remember now that Jeff Stanton is one week into winning races and really only a few months even to being considered a contender uh, at this level. You know, it's not like he was well-established at this point either. That's what makes it crazy. Both of these guys ascending on the same day. Yeah, and, you know, the the, the question mark that was, you know, Jean-Michel Bale. We'll, we'll, we'll park that for a second. Jeff Stanton was a guy that never raced 125 Supercross, even though he could have. He, he was a Yamaha support rider when he was an amateur, and he stayed with Yamaha, even though by this point, 1986, 87, 88, they're not developing uh, their race bike like Honda was. We had gone to the production rule to start the 86 season, and that's why both Rick Johnson and Ron Lachine had left Yamaha before then. And, and ended up with Honda. Uh, you know, Lachine's deal would go a different way after what happened in Japan. But RJ became like the captain of Honda, especially after, of course, David Bailey's you know unfortunate crash in January of 87. So Honda decided they saw something in Stanton that, you know, I, I don't know that anyone else really saw because he was a Midwest farm kid. He didn't have really great style. He was kind of bigger, um, and he not won anything. But I think a lot of that had to do with the bike he was on. And uh, so when he got on the Honda, he immediately started having better results. But by the time they'd gotten to Gainesville, which was six rounds into Supercross that year, uh, he'd won that one race like you, you guys had mentioned in Atlanta. But he'd never won a national before. He'd never even won a national moto. So all of a sudden, you have your captain – RJ go down in practice and you know Roger DeCoster turns and he's looking at two guys Jeff Stanton and this kid from France and and you know at that point everyone thought Stanton was was going to be the guy to step up 
but everyone, I think, just assumed it was going to be Jeff Ward's day. Lost in this, too, by the way. Danny Storbeck, fifth overall in 250 class, to give you an idea of how good he was. You know, um, yeah, absolutely great rider. Um, so Bale shows up. Now, he'd, he'd raced some supercrosses early, and he's the 88-125 world champion. And then he races some supercrosses early, does pretty well, but nothing amazing. And then shows up at Gainesville. But, Davey, I kind of understood it like this was not a Honda higher up thing that they like. This was Roger being like, this guy is something. We have to make it work. Like he's sort of semi-privateer almost, right? Like his Honda's not on board with helping him in them in America. Yeah, n- not not at all. And, you know, Roger pulled some strings on this, but um, what had happened was, remember, the world is a much bigger place back then. Uh, you didn't know what was going on in Europe. We'd never heard of some of these guys, you know, like John Vandenberg or Davy Stribos or, you know, Pekka Vekkanen. Um, but Bale was slowly beginning to rise through the French ranks and then the, the 125 GP ranks, and he was on a Honda. So believe it or not, I found a photo of him racing in Majora, Italy at the 86 Motocross of Nations. He was a 125 rider uh, for France. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember how he did, but um, that was the first time he popped up on my radar. And then I actually went to uh, the Northern Ireland GP in a place called Kalinchi in 1987 because we were doing a 125 US GP at Steel City that year. Mm-hmm. So my dad sent my sister and I over there to gather photos, stories, to do the program for Carrie Joe to meet you know the FIM people and all that. And uh, I remember in that race, I think Vandenberg won, but. I was like, wow, who is that kid on the Honda? And it was it was the first time I'd seen Bale. Um, later that year, he actually does really well. Uh, in fact, beats Bob Hanna at Unadilla in the Motocross of Nations 125 class. Uh, but then they disqualified him for riding outside the boundaries or whatever it was. Um, and then he also, as you said, Steve, he's the 125 world champion in 1988 and then he had an amazing ride um uh, in france at the motocross of nations that year suze a coup or whatever it's called when wardy was on the 125 and i think that caught roger's attention mm-hmm. and so when bale decided that he just wanted to go to america hell or high water uh, he wanted to go sooner than later roger figured out a way a couple bikes, but he couldn't even give him a box van. So at that race in Caterback, John Michelle Bale was in Mitch Payton's Astro van. He borrowed it, and, <laughs> and that's we we went around those first seven weeks uh, of the season, uh, literally on his own in a minivan, and, and it was it was crazy because I think if I'm not mistaken, the week after the Atlanta Supercross and before the the Gainesville National. JMB went to Disney World and camped in the parking lot. Jeez. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So it was it was and it, there was there was dueling stories going on at the time there because Donnie Schmidt was also a privateer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had left Team Suzuki. He didn't really want to do Supercross. And so he was also in a minivan. 
So you had a current world champion and a future world champion at Gatorback in minivans parked behind Team Honda. Yeah, Dave Arnold told me at times they had to smuggle in works parts. Like, like ah, uh, yeah, let's just set a forks over here. And, like, it was a real clandestine operation to help JMB without the USA and Europe bigwigs kind of knowing, right? Uh, Dave, you had a good relationship with them, right? Because you mentioned that Steel City. I believe you told me one time you went and picked them up at the airport or something. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to say one of the first times I met him face-to-face at Paris or Bercy, he asked me if you were there, you know what I mean, and told me how much he, he liked you because um, when I identified myself as Racer X. Uh, you had a good relationship with, with JMB, didn't you? I, I, I did. I was always fascinated by European motocross when I was a kid. Um, my favorite riders were not uh, Marty Smith and Bob Hanna, but they were, you know, Aiki Mikola or Aki Janssen. And, and later on, you know, JMB, and it just, you know, the way he rode – the, the way he carried himself, he barely spoke English. And, and I had happened to take French when I was in college, which I was just starting at the time. And uh, so I could try to talk to him a little bit. I think he really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, I, 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 could, I could see this developing motocross story. But nowhere in my you know, mind's eye was I seeing the future that this guy was going to literally take over the world. Um, I thought he was just very, very peculiar, uh, but, but fun to watch. Yeah, and what this ultimately leads to is, and this is why the JMB thing is one of the most important, and this race, as you said, maybe the most pivotal national ever, to think that the world champ, and he went back and won the 89-250 world title, and I think he was probably considered, in March of 89, he was probably considered a favorite. I don't think it was like a shock that he was going to win the 250 title. He'd already won the 125 title. He actually wasn't horrible at Supercross, but even with that, the hoops he had to jump through, he had to live in a minivan in the parking lot of Disney World, which is so incredibly different than the way it works for French riders or any international rider now. And it is all because of him. Like, if he doesn't do this, who knows how many guys of his ilk we don't get over here? Because it's crazy to think the teams just did not believe, or maybe you're thinking they didn't know about the riders out of America, and especially that they could do Supercross. Well, the, there, there's a couple of things to that, Weege. And, and one, there were guys that came over before, but they were, it was different situations. It was different sort of um, levels of racing. Like even Lars Lindstrom's father, Gunnar, uh, came over from Sweden to work for Husqvarna as an engineer and, and realized that he was actually a better motocrosser than most of the guys in America at the time. And, and the racing, and later on, like Koji Masuda came over from Japan. Jeff Leese came up from Australia. But but there hadn't been like a, a world champion level guy move to America. And when JMB made it known, the French Federation made his life really difficult. They wouldn't release him. They they you know put up some roadblocks and stuff. And what's funny is there was one French journalist. Um, the late Pat Bouland, uh, who um, kind of championed JMB's cause. He he was writing, you know, in Motovert and and uh, Moto Crampons, maybe whatever the the magazines were at the time back then. That that, that they needed to, you know, embrace this kid who wanted to go take on Supercross, who wanted to go take on the Americans, and um, 
kind of became his his public guy, uh, even though he was a you know so be an unbiased journalist. But you know, we, just as we pull for Americans, or Steve will pull for Canadians, or you know, Gobert will pull for Aussies. Uh, you know, you, you, Pat couldn't help it. So to reward Pat's support. JMB did like one of the first and most awesome flex moves in motocross history. He put the word Pat on the front of his helmet. And that meant that every photo in every rival French magazine, anything that showed up in the French newspapers had Pat Boulan's name on it. It'd be like someone wow. riding with Mathis on their visor. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just... It was things like that, that 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 JMB was, you know, he was blazing this trail that's still with us, you know, to this day, um, because, you know, he he stuck with it. That was one thing, but then he delivered, and then he over delivered, and then he walked away. I mean, <laughs> he was, it was gone. Like, it was like the Beatles. <laughs> Um, yeah, what a what a day at Gainesville. We won't, we haven't even touched on the twenty fives, which produced, I think, an unexpected winner. Also. Um, I'm looking at Cycle News here. He has bad bail on the back of his pants, but I think he also wore Starbuster on the back he of did. his pants, which is just like even better, right? Like just even better that he's going to show up. Now, Davey, I know there's a there's a sort of a folklore, and it's mentioned in this article, or maybe it's your Dirt Rider article, but it's mentioned after the race, they didn't know who won, or, or did they know who won, but they didn't want to admit it? Like what was the deal? There, there, there were a couple of things to it. First of all, because he signed up late, uh, they didn't even think he was going to be there. And and you were talking about how he was okay at Supercross and even pretty good. That was the most rapid improvement I've ever seen because his first race, Anaheim won in 89, ended on the first triple jump. <laughs> yeah. He landed on a hay bale, went ass over tea kettle, and yep. that was that. But then he got like eighth at the next one and maybe ninth and by the time they got to miami uh which was the fifth round and consequently the the last round that rj won uh he got second i mean he was he was figuring it out no one knew what to expect outdoors and and again you know the rj thing it kind of sucked all the oxygen and all the attention away from the race itself so when the first moto takes off uh the announcer's like uh, who's that? And uh, I remember, I think it was Bevo uh, was up there, told him uh, that that was the French kid and uh, Jean-Michel Bale. And, and the announcer, <laughs> who was a Southern guy, he's like, uh, well, well, we're, we're trying to find out who's a winning. And it turns out that's, a, that's number one, 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 that's Gene Michael Bailey. And they tell me he's from Paris, France. <laughs> he had no idea. He had no idea. No one did. I mean, he, had to, he had to run a qualifier in the morning, you know. Yeah. And um, But in the first moto, uh, Jean-Michel just clears out. And, and, you know, one other, you know, thing, the track ran backwards that year. Mm, okay. So any advantage or whatever that, you know, Jeff Ward or Ron Lachine or whoever uh, Stanton might have had was kind of erased a bit in that they knew the soil, but they didn't know the direction. Because, you know, Gatorback was a real popular uh, track at the time with mm -hmm. the, the the mini Olympics, the, the Winter Am Series. Um, you know, in fact, I was there with Bradshaw that January 
um, when Mark Barnett was kicking around a, a comeback and Damon was number 45, Ryan a 250. And um, it was, it was, it was a really rough track that day. And Bale, I, I, I can't remember, but I want to say he was like 35 seconds ahead. Really? At the end wow. of the first moto. Yeah. It was just like a, what the hell was that moment? Um, and he barely spoke English. And I don't think they even interviewed him, you know, after the moto, there really wasn't sort of a podium back then. Like mm-hmm. we have now. Yeah. And, um, so second moto, I, he goes I, third and chaos then yeah. chaos happens. Yeah. So the second moto, both Bale and Stanton, um, it, it, early in the race are kind of, you know, running it hard. And, and, um, at this point, uh, Ward, who I think got fourth or something in the first moto. Fifth. Yeah, fifth. Fifth. All right. So he gets around them and ends up riding away and winning. But Stanton outlasts Bale. He's got a 2-2. Bale goes 1-3. So they're having the trophy ceremony right underneath the announcer's tower up there on that that bluff or above Mm -hmm. the the gator pit or whatever. And and the same announcer is like... uh, and our overall winner, uh, he's from Sherwood, Michigan. It's in, you know. <laughs> and I look around and I see Roger wearing these like short, short blue shorts and a, and a Honda, you know, collared shirt, come running up the hill. I mean, like full <laughs> speed. And and no, 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 no. <laughs> like, and and I think the referee at the time was like uh, either Ron Denny or maybe Roy Jansen. They had, to, they had to go tell the announcer that, that, no, 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 that's wrong, the way the points work. And they had only changed this recently. JMB had 45 points mm-hmm. for the 1-3, and Jeff had 44-2-2. So Bale, I think, thought it was a diss. I, I don't think he even knew you know what was going on, but it was it was it was just a, the icing on uh, you know the cherry on the top of yeah. uh, of a crazy day and that was just the 250 class yeah yeah absolutely just nutty i can imagine being there being like wait what like i mean he's a world champion but you know the at this point america had won the designations over and over and you know the world champions were looked at as not on the same level as the american riders um and then to to have a world champion you know win that still would have been – I mean, yes, he's world champion, but it just would have been pretty amazing to be like, wait, he just beat Jeff Ward and Jeff Stanton? Like what? You know? Like, yeah. yeah. And, and to that point, you know, the 80s, I know, you know, we always think about 1981, Motocross of Nations, the, the thing you just did, Steve and Sturgis. Uh, that was probably the single most consequential race ever. But the end of the 80s – in the end of sort of that American reign, in my opinion, it really began that day at Gainesville. Because not only did JMB beat them, he kind of signaled to everyone else that they could be beat. And it would take a while, but it was only, you know, five years later that we finally lost the designations. But by that point, it was getting closer and closer and closer to where we were barely winning. And I think that that Bale sort of ushered in that optimism uh, that that America, not only could be, uh, uh, you know, not only could a European rider compete there, they could conquer it. Uh, and of course, we know what happened in the years to come. 
And and again, the fact that when he had completed his masterpiece and won all three titles in 1991, that he just said, that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going road racing. Um, Honda made him stay one more year, but uh, he, he, had, he had a boot out the door as soon as he clinched that 91 Supercross title. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the ramifications of that are still with us today. And, man, we just found out in a great big way how fast the rest of the world has gotten uh, with, with, with Jet Lawrence and Hunter Lawrence. Uh, it's, it's crazy um, that this summer only one American rider won an outdoor national. That's, that's how much things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, so I had not figured that out actually until this week that there was only one American who won a race, which was Deegan. Cause obviously an Australian won every 450 race. And then the Allen Shimoda, uh, along with Hunter. And yeah, because look, a couple of years later, Greg Albertine makes the same journey. He doesn't have to work out of a minivan to get it done. No. And then Chad Reed comes, you know, probably another five years after that. And then he's as good as Supercross as anyone. Um, those are the doors that opened w- with this. And Chad had to fight his way to get over. He didn't get to go straight from mm-hmm. Australia to America. But the point is, it was acceptable now that, because I remember. Honestly, reading magazine interviews with like Kudrowski in 1994, and they're like, Albie's coming over next year. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, there was still, I think, an era of they're not at our level. But yeah, by I the agree. end of the 90s, that would be yeah. suicide to think that. Yeah. Well, w- without Bale, I don't think Pishon gets to come over. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Albertine doesn't get to come over. And maybe Tortelli. Eventually, you know, because the world becomes a smaller place, yes, people to come over. Um, but JMB like literally kicked that door down. And, and while that was happening, and this is the part about Gatorback 89 that I, 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 I love almost as much is there was this entire, uh, generational change happening in the 125 class. Um, they were allowing at the time, and you'll love this, Steve. Uh, amateurs yeah. to ride occasionally a pro national. So kids like Mike Kudrowski and Larry Ward had raced pro nationals in 88, 80, 87 even, uh, and then, and then, you know, turned pro and they, they knew what they were doing. And in the 125 class that day, lining up as, as, you know, full-time rookies for the first time, are not only Mike Kudrowski and Larry Ward, but Damon Bradshaw too. He'd only ridden one national at that point, but he was so good that everyone just assumed that this is going to be Bradshaw's day. And, and the first moto, in fact, it was. Uh, but then the second moto, he goes down early, and all of a sudden, number 762, who I admit, I didn't never noticed him before except when he won a class at Loretta Lenz. But he'd ridden a few nationals the year before as a Kawasaki team green rider. Um, out of the blue, he's up front wearing that wearing that Honda line gear, which is like the most generic gear yeah. in the history of motocross gear. <laughs> and you know, it was it was you know all of a sudden it wasn't George Holland, you know, number one out front. It wasn't Guy Cooper. It, it wasn't uh, you know that that older establishment. Uh, it was a bunch of kids and and. It was it was equally as eye popping, I think, is is what is what JMB was doing. 
Yeah, I remember I'd known, seen the name Mike Krodowski on a Cowie here and there, Golden States. But when, as a kid in Canada, when Honda hired, I'm like, what? Who? How? You know what I mean? Like factory Honda kid? Yeah, I was blown away. Yeah. And then he yeah, goes and I, wins. I can, <laughs> I, I can remember the first time Art Ekman had to say the name. Mike Kudrowski, and he <laughs> called him Mike Kudrowski, and Jeff Matiasevich. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's uh, we, we super. And, uh, but, we, by the way, yeah. how did Kudrowski race? I'm looking right now. In 88, he got seventh at Gatorback and sixth at Hangtown. But then, of course, he he gets sixth at Washougal. This is an 88. Yep. But he has a three-digit number. Same thing with Larry Ward. So did they not get points somehow? They did not. In, in, in fact, you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, in those years, if you were a pro-am, you were white number plate with red numbers. So oh, it looked wow. like we were racing in Japan or something. <laughs> uh, in Canada, that indicates the novice class, red on white. Um, well, you so, would know that. Yes, you I would. would know that. Um, also, uh, Weege, very odd, like Bradshaw wins the first moto and then, huh. Crashes in second. That's odd, Weech, huh? Bradshaw. <laughs> he goes one nine. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just another yeah. another example of like we just got a taste of what Damon's entire career was going to be yeah. at Gainesville '89. Really fast, but then also make a few mistakes. So, yeah, so it, be, it was a, it was uh, a first a series of more points left on the for... table than Bradshaw yeah. in this 125 series. The amount of points he left on the table. Yeah, but there 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 were a couple other sort of afterthoughts to this whole thing. And one is that at the end of the season, after JMB goes back to Europe, he, he gets hurt at Daytona the next week, by the way. He he was there, and a lot of people thought, oh, my God, this guy is going to win Daytona. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he got hurt. And then he went back to prepare for the opening round of the GPs in April, and he cracked his arm. And uh, so he missed the first round, but he so dominated when he did get out there finally that uh, uh, he won the world championship early. Mm -hmm. And then he came back to America. And at the end of the 89 season, both RJ and JMB enter the 500 nationals and RJ wins, I want to say Unadilla. Unadilla, he wins the last one, yep. Yeah, and then JMB wins Steel City. So so JMB actually won two nationals that year. And and I think technically he's the, the maybe the only guy ever to win the first two fifty national he ever entered and the first five hundred national he uh, ever entered. And but, we Weege and I brought this up before on the show, but in eighty nine at the Unadilla USGP, Bale comes back, you know, part of the GP series and RJ wins. And Weege and I, who were RJ fans, were like, Oh yeah, RJ is back and and now all the rightful you know, the rightful man will stay on top of the series, and it was actually just, you know, a brief yeah. moment uh, for RJ in his wrist recovery. But, yeah, it was exciting to think that RJ was going to be back, you know? Yeah, and that, that, that 89 USGP at Unadilla, uh, I think it would make a great re-raceable for you guys because that's the day that Stan borrows a 125 because mm -hmm. no one's ever seen him ride a 125. But he wants, you know, DeCoster to know that he's willing to ride the 125 for Team USA because – it was pretty obvious that, you know, Jeff Ward and Rick Johnson were going to be the picks. But then RJ gets hurt again at Washougal, and, and the point is moot. But that day that RJ and JMB are battling at Unadilla, uh, Stanton is battling Bradshaw and Larry Ward 
in the 125 class, yeah. the 125 support class, yeah. and and put it to those guys. It was, um, yeah, you know, and and lost in all this is maybe the fact that um, the real winner that day, the real loser, of course, was RJ and and, and Danny Storbeck, who would forever, you know, mm-hmm. have that sort of scarlet letter of Gatorback, you know, on him. But uh, I think Jeff Stanton, um, you know, the way that he was able to not only step up, but not let the JMB thing affect him. Uh, you know, he, he held his own the next year, uh, clinched Supercross. Uh, yeah, he, he lost the 91, but then he came back in 92. And by the time it was all over, uh, Jeff Stanton, that's why we call him six time. Mm-hmm. And it all happened in that four-year window between – Gatorback 89 and, and the LA Coliseum of 92. And um, yeah, you know, the world was changing, but there were still some pretty damn fast Americans around. And uh, and I think it's still that way. One thing I, I want to question about Stan, um, you've been showing some old photos uh, that you found from what? Loretta's 86? Is that what it was? Uh-huh. And Stanton has a mustache. Did he ever, <laughs> do you, in your time, Ever remember Jeff Stanton looking like a child? Was he just born 30 years old? You know, I didn't realize until I had done some old stories on the pre-Loretta Lynn's mini bike nationals and youth nationals that Jeff was well-traveled and went to a lot of races. Um, but I never noticed him because he wasn't very good. <laughs> and when he started getting good, uh, he did it on 250s and 500 you know, 490 Yamahas. And he always looked like a man, even though he was in the schoolboy class. <laughs> right. And, and, and as he, you know, his style was so unflashy. It was very early uh, 80s, you know, not, you know, it, it, it developed, but he was no David Bailey. He was no Johnny O. Mm-hmm. You know, he was more like a Ken Howerton, you know, or a Rick Burgett. And uh, but he was in shape, and 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 uh, so the mustache he came by it honestly, and uh, it was part of the overall you know, Jeff Stan vibe. He he was he was more mature than us, even though he was younger than us. That's yeah, that, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's right. um, we've done one of these with him, Atlanta '89, and he got into him and RJ's um, relationship. You know after 88 and, and the preseason and all of that and sort of the hard feelings that develop between them, go take a listen, everybody, to, to listen to that because, you know, RJ yeah. was struggling with the wrist and Jeff was the new guy and everything else. Uh, Davey, question for me. Before, uh, Steve, don't forget, uh, then we also did Gainesville 90 with uh, RJ where it goes full circle and RJ beat Stanton, yep. um, which, yep. Davey, we hit up RJ and said, yeah, I mean, look, RJ's won as many races as anybody, and that's the one he picked. He felt that the biggest win he ever had, that a year later he did come back and beat Stanton one time straight up before more injuries and the risk got worse and worse. But it just shows you, even in the mind of these guys, this span kind of Atlanta the previous week, 89 through Gainesville, the next weekend through Gainesville, the next year it was just so pivotal in the sport. Yeah. And, and what's funny is, you know, so JMB wins the 250 world title comes back and almost wins the 1990 supercross championship. And then Honda puts him on a 125. Because yeah. they had Santon and they had RJ coming back. And we all, for the life of son, Ricky was going to continue his reign. and um, But his wrist was more jacked up than 
anyone knew. I think he knew, uh, but but you know he 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 wrote it as hard as he could until he realized that he was never going to be, you know, Rick to Hip Johnson, mm-hmm. and, and he pulled the plug. You know, partway through the the ninety one season. Quick trivia question: What kind of gear was Stanton wearing the year he retired? Axel. Nope. You're thinking of RJ. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I said RJ. Yeah. What kind of gear was RJ wearing? Oh, I don't. I don't want to talk about the, that that era of RJ ever. <laughs> uh, fast boys, Thor. Uh, yeah, not not great. Not an awesome look for RJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, two. I have two questions for Davey before we let you go, Davey. Um, one of them involves this race, and one of them does not involve this race. So the first one, uh, I've gotten to know J and B over the years really well. I've done podcasts with them, and. Um, you know, see him at Bercy, see him every year there. It's really, really cool to, you know, have him know who I am and all of that. And one of the things he's told me a few times is he always felt like part of his problem with American fans was the the media, uh, whether it's Larry Myers uh, or Jody, right? Um, there was sort of, um, I don't know, maybe just a foreigner, uh, anti-foreigner guy coming over to kick our asses attitude by the live announcing guys, the TV guys, uh, some Jody who was, you know, pretty much the the only main source back then and he he does feel uh like that was a bit of an issue he is also there's a lot of eccentric jmb stories right so i don't think it's all on um the announcing in the media at this time because certainly a lot of guys have stories about jmb being pretty eccentric but in your eyes as a guy that was getting started in media and as somebody who liked jmb um do you think that was part of an issue uh, back then it was, and, and and I know that that um, I had a front row seat for it. Yeah, um, I love Larry Myers. You know, he he was a, a lifelong family friend. Uh, I, I got to see him at Redbud this year. He, he looks great, and mm-hmm. um, he even I think Weed, you guys had him uh, introduce the race uh, for Peacock. Um, yes, yeah, he did the intro to the show for Fifty Years of Redbud, yeah. and he got to say, you know, he was there at the first national uh, fifty years ago. It was really cool to have a TV show start with Larry Myers' voice. Yep. Yeah. However, in 1991, right when JMB was really uh, kicking everyone's butt, we were starting to gear up for the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. and Larry, I think, figured out pretty quickly that an easy applause point. An easy uh, thing would be to sort of riff off of what he used to do at Unadilla every year, calling every foreign rider a commie. <laughs> commie pinko, commie bastard. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, and I know it drove uh, people like Kurt Nickel and, and, and um, Jackie Vimone and those guys crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they hated it. And um, when, when JMB started doing well, all these things sort of lined up. Uh, the Gulf War, patriotism, the fact that they were going to call French fries freedom fries uh, because the French were not going to send Exocet missiles to Iraq mm-hmm. or, you know, there was just yeah. or Kuwait or whatever it was. Um, all of that had to have played into it because, you know, when you think about where we are, uh, you know, with Supercross races like in San Diego, which is a very military town, uh, you know, uh, it was easy to pick on JMB. Right. Now, as far as Jody goes, I honestly don't remember Jody taking much umbrage 
with with JMB because I think Jody and Roger are really good friends, and I think Jody uh, maybe uh, appreciated JMB a little more than he did Dave Thorpe, and I think that that the the any you know animosity that he had for international riders mm-hmm. uh, came through that you know Dave Thorpe is the world's best novice yeah. comment. Yep. which I, I, you know, I've never really got a chance to talk to him about it. I know he was, you know, sometimes when we write things, you know, we think we're funny and we don't really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know, I can relate to this. We don't really know if we're funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. I do think what JMB was getting, because I doubt he read Motocross Action or Cycle News or Dirt Rider or anything. Yeah. Um, but he, he did hear the fans. And the fans were being guided by the announcers. Mm-hmm. And as you know, whether it was Larry or Lily Nastin or whoever else was, you know, announcing the races at that time, yeah, you could depend on getting a roar from the crowd if you just said, What about Team USA? What about the Americans? <laughs> yeah, you know, forget about that French guy. Definitely J M B feels felt feels a little yeah. that way, you know. So yeah. unfortunately, you know. But. At that point, JMB was like a man without a country because the, the you know he was riding with American flags on his bike right. for crying out loud, and and it was because he didn't like the French Federation, yep, and and, and with good reason because they made it difficult. But he was a man without a country uh, <laughs> in the end, and and I think that helped him leave Moto quicker than he might have. Although he was also very clear to me in after he clinched the. 91 Supercross title in the Meadowlands. I did an interview with him, and he said, "That's it. I, I'm I'm ready to go road racing." He didn't even <laughs> want to ride the rest of the nationals. Jeez, imagine that, right? <laughs> and so he yep. slept walk through 92, and still managed to win like four races. Yeah, he was like six points out of the title in 92. Yeah, and he just didn't care. It was just it was like it was like Ricky in 2007. Yep. Hey, you know, if you just ride two more races, you're going to clinch the title and. He's like, no, yeah. I got a plan. I'm sticking to it. All right, my last question for you here: the Lee at Reraceables, uh, uh, the the USGP. Did did Lachine really oversleep? What's the real story behind? He did. He okay. he overslept. Okay. but I think it's because he might not have gone to bed. Yet. <laughs> okay, all right. Because <laughs> there was, I remember they built him a super cool works bike. The 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 88 was there, and then yeah, he, he didn't get the race, and he he blamed his alarm clock and. You know, all the things that Ronnie <laughs> has done. So, okay. I, you know, I'd have given anything to see him ride that bike that day. Cause I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Because my dad was sick. I was My sister and I were the promoters. And I had to deal with this AMA official named Ned Redway, mm-hmm. who uh, did not want to let him race. Yeah. He, he, missed, he didn't miss practice. He missed check-in. And, and yeah. he was there in time for practice. And they're like, nope, you can't do it. And and uh, I remember my, my dad was sick, but as soon as he got better, he's like, "May I'm driving over. I gotta have a meeting." And this is like a, three weeks after the race. Yeah, he said, "I'm coming home with Ned Redway's ass in my briefcase." <laughs> and he did. <laughs> yeah, I just I remember and, as a child, like, "Wow, that's really odd that a factory rider overslept." Like, how, how does that happen? But now yeah, that you know, Ned, Ned was doing his job. Ronnie was doing Ronnie things. <laughs> okay. And in, in the end, it, it was, it was, it was kind of funny. Yeah. And, and uh, but uh, yeah, that he, he, there was something involving, involving an alarm, but it might've, 
fire alarm at that point. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Okay, so I got <laughs> finally I get the real story all these years later. All right, sounds good. Uh, anything else, Weeds, for Davey? I don't know if it's still there, but can you tell me the longtime whereabouts of JMB's last ever motocross jersey? It uh, was here in my office for a very long time. Wasn't uh, it in the uh, Kegler's, the bowling alley as well? Yeah, it, yeah, it, run. It, it is still there. It, it's it's still there. Fact, it's still there. Wait, Steel uh, City 92? Yeah? No, his oh. last race was Bud's Creek 92. Oh. And, and he did like one of the ultimate JMB things. He slowed down to make sure that that he was watching the points between Stanton and Kudrowski for the 500 title. But he was bound and determined not to, not to help. And just like 92 at the, at the L.A. Coliseum. Yeah. And, uh, afterwards, I was the cycle news guy, and, and I went to say, hey, what happened there? And he's like, I slowed down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he gives me his jersey, and he said, he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, hey, you're always nice to me. And he gave me his jersey. And I was like, <laughs> so I'm going around interviewing other people holding John Michelle Bale's jersey. <laughs> right, right. Hey, Jeff Statton, can I get a word? I just got a jersey yeah. from my favorite writer. Right. Yeah. Uh, it so- is, in fact, I, I'll go get a photo of it for you guys, but um, it is, in fact, in the stairwell at Kegler's Bar and Grill in Morgantown, West Virginia. <laughs> That's such a dude, Steve. It is the craziest thing. Like, that's it such is a Davy story. Yeah, just is... regular old bowling alley and bar, yeah. and you can get some bar food. And there's a RSTHE Bale number one jersey frame. <laughs> that is such a so Davy move. Absolutely, <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, what a, what a guy. Of course, he got benched right by Dave Arnold in Bud's Creek ninety, and they said if you don't slow down and help Mike, uh, you we can't race. And he said, well, do I still get paid? And they said, yeah. And he goes, okay, I won't race. <laughs> Imagine that. He did it his way, didn't he? Sinatra's My Way song is dedicated to JMB. So, uh, awesome, man. Uh, good stuff. Thank you, Davey. Thanks for the uh, Lee at Reraceables 89 Gainesville. Thanks, man. Thank you. And uh, I love listening to you guys when you do these. It, it, it brings out great memories whether I was there or not. Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Good stuff from D.C. Uh, yeah, great great, great to uh, talk to him for sure. And, of course, it led into a Steel City USGB conversation, and it led into uh, uh, anything else, right? So, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, Steel City USGP with that story you told, well, what happened to Dogger at this race? It was like 8-9. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny you say that because before we got on the phone, I texted him, and I've not heard back yet. I was hoping to hear back from him. Uh, I don't know what happened for this race. Yes. Yes. I said, what, you know, cause he dogger is one of those dudes that has a great memory. So, um, you know, I was going to ask him how, what happened? Maybe he gets back to us by the time we're done recording here. Um, but yeah, cause by 89 dogger had a rough year in 86 production Cowie and off track yeah. stuff. 87 was better. 88, 89. He was back to being really, really good. Uh, of course he would never race, really race again at that top level after steel city, 89, but 89 was a good year for Dogger. I think he got second. Yeah, he wasn't getting ninths. No, like, that's no. that's bizarre. No, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So we'll see if he gets gets back to us. But um, thank you to Scott Goggles, by the way. Speaking of uh, Damon Bradshaw, uh, we're in Scott. Uh, Kurdowski's in Scott, too. Stanton's in Scott. Um, yeah, Wardy's Oakley. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of Scott guys out there. Scott Sports has been providing the best goggle 
uh, technology to all motorsport disciplines for over 50 years. Uh, they're excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with Reracible's podcasts, many of which have included Scott Goggles. Scott, the only goggle made in the USA. Jason Anderson, Pro Circuit. Uh, Caleb Russell, Chad Weenan, Walker Fowler, uh, Joe Schmoda with Scott Goggles. And I think we mentioned this on the last Reracibles, and maybe Knowles will get mad at me. But uh, Joe Schmoda going over to Honda next year, kept Scott Goggles. That's right. Kept Scott as his, as his nice. goggle guy. So, um, nice. yeah, he's, uh, he's all, all on board. Probably loving Johnny Knowles' service. So thank you to Scott. Uh, also, Guts Racing. Uh, Pulp Mix 20, Pulp 2023 is the code to save with Guts Racing. Uh, whether it's lightweight seat foam, seat covers, uh, ribbed, normal ones, vintage stuff, the seat foams, lightweight foams, normal foams, complete seat bases, complete seats altogether. Uh, seats, seats, seats. Guts Racing can help you out. And uh, use the code PULP2023 to save with Guts Racing. Up there in NorCal, Andy, Greg, and the guys, they are helping out a lot of privateers, a lot of race teams. The, the stuff is fantastic. So thank you to Andy at Guts for coming on this podcast as well. Uh, all right, Gainesville 89. Shall we do the categories, Weech? Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, who really won the race? Ugh, I, we need to get rid of this category. It's been it's been a thorn in our side the whole time. It, yes, it's been. The idea was what 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 you know what stood out for you outside of the winner, like what what caught your eye. But lately, what catches our eye because we're doing these races because of the who they win, who wins. That's why we do these races. So then, who really right, wins the race? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Like if we, the day we finally do the New Jersey 2017 race with the wildest set of semis and LCQs in Supercross history, we'll focus on that. Then yes, maybe the winner of the race, I think the loser of the race there is Marvin Dunge together somehow. They're, mm -hmm. they're both a loser because of how mad the fans were. But that one, we might have another winner. But um, most of the time, you're right. The topic is just the guy that won. So how does he not the winner? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't know, we'll figure it out. But uh, I, yeah. I will go JMB. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how could you not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just a massive breakthrough. And the only footage you can find of this on the Internet that I can find is an episode of Moto World from 1989 that is on YouTube. And in classic Bale style, he wins the first moto. And then Stanton and Ward get to him in Moto 2. And he knows he has to get third to win the overall. And you see, like, Ward go by him, and he just looks over, and he's like, yep, you go ahead. And then Stanton goes by him, and he's like, yep, you go ahead. And he's just riding just at, like, 50%, comes across the line. Like, he just knew the whole time. Yeah. And that was the way Bale did it. Just a master yeah. tactician. And then, as uh, as Davey said, though, they didn't really know. You know, it's interesting that they gave the war the winner. Because, you know, I guarantee you, Larry Myers. <laughs> he knew. Yeah, they didn't know. <laughs> Larry Myers wasn't going to let no commie. Uh, win the opener, no. you know. So um, no, yeah. And uh, you went to okay. You had gone home before this race. I'm sure yeah. you went to some. Did you go to races during Bale's era? Yeah, I raced against Bale. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Millville race. Uh, I went to Millville during Bale. Uh, the, the whole run, like 89, 9, 89, 90, 91, 92, all of that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Uh, I go to the, for example, the Supercross in New Jersey every year, and yeah, the crowd was horrible. I mean, they booed him all the time. I don't yep. remember. Uh, we saw Millville. We saw Minneapolis. Um, no, I don't think he raced Minneapolis. So it would have been Millville. And then I saw him in Miami. He got second in Miami uh, behind Stanton. I don't remember the crowd booing him in any of those instances that I remember. But I just do remember watching a ride of 500, and it was kind of like Roxon-ish, where his RPM was slower. It was lower. Mm -hmm. You know, he was mm -hmm. just – and I remember particularly – Millville Mechanics area, back in the day, it was a tight left around the scoring tower, and then you came up from the mechanics area. 
everyone would just make the left. I'm, this, this stands out to me like it was yesterday. Everyone would make the left, go straight up, grab the brakes, and make a hard right down that straightaway up on top, right? And that was just what everyone did. He comes out. He goes, he t- goes way ride, way ride white, right, to avoid the bumps. Uh, right around where the mechanics were holding their boards, he cuts left, goes to the far left, blips his throttle, pivots, turn right, and then he's now he's on the far right of the straightaway going down. Do you know what I mean? He made like an S turn in a straightaway to avoid Jeez. bumps and to, yeah. you know, and to be smooth. And it was like no one else was doing that. I particularly standing there being like, look at this guy's line, you know? Good times. Yeah, and there were a million of those uh, things. I remember in New Jersey, he was, I think this was 90, uh, he was getting booed, and I distinctively heard someone from the crowd yell, hey, Michelle's a girl's name. <laughs> um, then he had the, I think, fastest heat race, and I think back then there was some, like, cores or camel yep. extra money that you got to get up on the podium, so they'd, like, call him back up and be like, oh, the fastest heat race is JMB. So he comes up, and then... This is in the days where you had to kiss the trophy girl, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is, now that you think back, you're like, that was normal. That was just what you did. That's just, yep, uh, we just did that. Yep. So he, uh, he, I think he gave the Coors Light or, or Camel girl a kiss. And then he went in for another, and I believe maybe even a third. Oh, wow. And the crowd started to turn. <laughs> they they like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be like, wait a minute, I kind of like this guy. <laughs> um. By the way, reading Cycle News for this, too, Stanton's quote uh, about Wardy winning the second moto. Jeff rode a smart race. He pushed me, and I got tired. Stanton, Stanton, he pushed me, and I got tired. When's the The last last time, time, Weech? That was it. I think that was the end. Okay, that was it? 1989? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Last time a rider ever said he got tired. Yep. Didn't get tight. No setup issues. Nothing. Nope. Got tired. (laughs) Nope. Nope. They've been hiding the secret ever since. <laughs> R.I.P. to riders <laughs> telling us they got tired. Jeff Stanton at Gainesville 89. Yep. Thank you. That was the end. It's like the, it's like the Kennedy case. They're going to unpack a file <laughs> in 75 years of all the quotes where riders actually admitted they were tired, but we're not ready for it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. Uh, who's that guy award? Uh, I got one. Um, maybe I'm going to take it from you. Um, we don't have the, the guy you never heard of. Yeah, who's that guy award? Um, I'm gonna yeah, take... I'm gonna go with Michael Stallman, 19th overall. Oh, that was mine. That was oh mine. nice from St. Clair, Missouri. I got nothing. Uh, he does have some results in the vault though. He got 11th at Steel City in '89. Like 11th is legit. Yeah, made some 250 Supercross mains. St. Clair, Missouri. Is this? Is, is are we gonna no get, are we gonna get a call from Benny Bloss, uh, Jeff Bloss? Like what? what? <laughs> Michael Stallman. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if Rarick has this one. No, Rarick does not have this one. No way. No. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that guy too. Um, although I could do. There's a few of them in here, but yeah, Michael. St- I mean, that, yeah, never heard of him. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, no. Shout out Carl Valencourt, though. Good job, Carl, Canadian hero. Uh, yeah. DNF, DNF yeah. 15 on the day. Solid. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lit Kid Award. Well, I'm torn. Because Weege, you know I love JT racing, and Bale's stuff does look pretty good here. Um, does it though? Yeah, yeah, it does. It looks amazing. Oh, okay, yeah, it does. Okay. But amazing. Okay, mm. I gotta go with the leopard 
uh, zebra print, sorry, zebra print Bradshaw Fox stuff. That's what he was running at this race. And I got to go that because, I mean, I'm sure we've picked it for a lit kit somewhere else before, but it was just so iconic. Yeah, to the point where they brought it back two, three, four times, I yeah, think, yep. Fox, that, that the Bradshaw look. So I'm going to do something that's going to blow people's minds here. I was not apparently one of the cool kids. I was not aware of this until recently. I didn't know that the TX-10 gear that Stanton wore that year was supposed to be crap. It was answer gear, and it looked good. I had no idea that it was considered terrible. Yeah, Dave terrible. even said it was yeah. – Dave even said in the his thing it was bland or cardboard yeah. or whatever. Yeah, all of it. Six yeah. time talks about how horrible it was. Kudrowski, I, I think Kudrowski talked about it too in our pod. Yeah, Kudrowski looks fine. It's answer gear. It's answer yeah, gear in cool just, colors. Yeah, no. Kudrowski's had teal. Uh, Stanton's was the gray and red. I think the only complaint that I had is that Stanton literally, I believe, wore the exact same gear in every race all year, which yeah. is kind of lame. Yeah. I thought it was fine. So because the TX-10 Honda gear has been so slammed for so long, I'm here. One man. Well, what about... Raise a fist. <laughs> what about Cooper's Axo TX-10 stuff? That was better than the answer stuff. Was his TX-10? Yeah. Or was yeah. it just Axo? No, it's TX-10. Yeah. yeah. I do remember... Then I think eventually, if I have this right, eventually TX-10 was made by both, or I guess it was already. And yeah. then one year they had like... Stanton had to wear the answer one for half and axo for the other and it was like oh wait it just got way better now that he's got the axo stuff on and then eventually he just became regular axo right which was some of the best gear of all time that he and bradshaw started running but i i don't understand this tx10 slander i thought it looked fine then mm -hmm. it's fine yeah okay all yep. right i disagree mm -hmm. uh bradshaw's zebra print amazing uh shout out to wardy had an underrated look i think this is the first year he went to a full face and then he had a yeah. blue front Cinesalo with neon green back. Uh, Axo stuff, boots, and chest protector. Yep. Wardy, Wardy looked good. This was an underrated Wardy look. So Yeah, he did. I, it was an improved Cinesalo look, I feel. Um, kind of notorious. I think he had to cut off cuffs. Remember we ran that for a while? Like the no cuffs? Yeah. yeah, yep. Three-quarter sleeves. Uh, shit kid award. I mean, I got to go Jeff Stanton. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. Again, here we go again. Yeah. Slander. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know, I should ask JT this one, what was the, th this was Honda was going to make gear and sell gear and have all their guys wear gear, right? Um, mm, uh, yeah, I don't really know the ins and outs of it. RJ, I, like one of the reasons yeah. RJ, yeah. Uh, they wanted to do it. Yep. Can you imagine what JT working in the industry as he does back then would have felt about if one of the manufacturers, what if Team Honda next year is like, no, we're making our own gear. We're putting it in dealers. We want people to buy our gear, and we will sign our riders to endorse our gear. Like, can you imagine a guy like JT hearing that news? Well, what's funny is, so I did a podcast with the late Jim Hale from Axel, right? And he said that around this time, him and uh, Greg Fox, or not, sorry, uh, Jeff Fox, the owner of Fox Racing, not Parts Unlimited, they were upset and mad, and they were teaming together sure. to do this, to stop this, and, and, you know, yelling at the OEMs and all of that, because obviously for the reasons that it, we just talked about. And then Jim Hale, I believe, in our podcast, says he turns around, and the next thing you know, Team Yamaha and Team Honda do Fox deals. He's like, wait, 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 <laughs> what, what, about, what about solidarity here? Yeah, he really, yeah, he, he was not happy. Yeah, but I still feel there's a difference in a team. I mean, Fox just paid the riders or the team enough money to mm -hmm. have all the riders wear 
Fox, this is Honda branded. Yeah, gear. yeah, this is different. No, I get it. Yep. Yeah, this is Honda. This Yamaha wasn't going to make any money from Yam from Fox gear, but this is Honda trying to make money on the gear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I just I, can't imagine a young JT. Uh, if JT, if somebody tried to pull this now, and how JT would feel. Yep. Yeah, I think it would be great. I think I, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Absolutely. Oh yeah, WPS uh, Fly so, distributors are all getting screwed by Honda. He'd love it. Who do you got for shit kit then? Uh, I'm actually going to go with Mike Fisher, longtime O'Neill guy. Uh, I did think O'Neill had some good looks in these days. I mm-hmm. did not hate O'Neill, but he's wearing this chest pro that I thought looked normal at the time. But looking back now, mm-hmm. the thing is like Roman. It's a tur- armor. it's a turtle shell. It's a turtle shell. Yes, Absolutely. it is so ginormous. Yeah. The poor guy must have been so overheated by the end of this day. So I did like some of the O'Neill stuff in these days. I didn't like the wrap around the leg stuff we talked about with. Dr. I did, D. yeah, I did like it. Yep. Yeah, I liked Fisher's look for the most part back in these days, but that chest protector. Now looking back, I'm like, good god. Okay, I got an answer from Dogger. Breaking news. Oh, I said doing a pod here on Gainesville '89. You yeah. went. I said you went eight nine. Any idea why? He says tired. Then he goes, then he said, out of shape. I said, but 89 was a good year for you, and I haven't heard back yet. But, um, oh, that's great. Yeah, tired. So, there we go. I know, I know we said tired ended with Stanton, but Dogger doesn't count in this category. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, right? So, there we go. Breaking news for that one. Tired. Tired. Eight, nine, tired. (laughs) Look, though, if you really think about it, so the riders just stayed down there, Miami, Atlanta, Gainesville. They just stayed yeah, there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah they That's yeah. not a good situation no, for Dogger. It's, it's, it's probably a good point. There probably weren't too many motos at Croom, like Barnett and those guys. No. No, and, and Daytona would have been tied into this too, right? Yep, yep. Oh, oh no, God. 89 Daytona, he led, he led the whole damn thing until his power valve melted. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't out partying anyway. No, good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yes, I mean he could still pull off these runs even when partying, but I cannot imagine this one month. Hey, Ronnie, we're going to send you to Florida for a month. <laughs> we'll see you on the weekends, buddy. <laughs> oh man, uh, Jacob Marsak Award for the rider did the best that you've never uh, that you didn't think of or or you didn't realize. Uh, I'll go, uh, Greg Bowen. Who? So Greg Keith Bowen, great amateur rider, really talented rider. You know, one bunch of nationals, never won a supercross, but should have won Daytona in the mud in eighty in eighty six. Um eighty seven, sorry. Uh but his brother, Greg, a few years younger, also an amateur standout, and never really did anything as a pro, but he got eleventh in the one twenty five class at Gainesville. And if you would ask me, hey, Greg Bowen, like what's what's your take on Greg Bowen? Uh super fast amateur, never did anything as a pro. And would definitely would have would not have said he got eleventh overall. So I'll go Greg Bowen as my Jacob Marsack Award. Good job, Greg Bowen. Yeah, I'm going to go with Storbeck. I cannot believe I've thought about this race, watched this race, read about this race so many times. I remember when it happened. I remember my dad bringing home the facts. Mm-hmm. All of this. I remember Denny Storbeck being tied into all of it. But somehow, until now, I never realized that he actually the next day after landing an RJ came back and finished fifth overall. I. That is, I don't know how I missed that one, but that is, is that a career best? He had another fifth. Yeah. That is a tie for his career best. No, he had a fourth at Southwick one time. Yeah, on a Yamaha, right? Yep. Yep. He puts in one of the best rides of his career. Factory rider for one year. One year. Oh, was he? Yep, for the Yamaha. He he was in the Holly year. They were like, there was like eight factory Yamaha riders in 86. Oh, and they didn't win. 
Nope. They didn't win. They all got fired. They all got fired because <laughs> we didn't win. We didn't we, <laughs> we didn't beat RJ. We didn't beat Wardy, so we got fired. Yeah. Okay. Uh got more from our, our dogger if you want. More. Oh, oh, absolutely. I said, but eighty nine was a good year for you. He goes, Yeah, I won Kenworthy's Pontiac. I led Daytona to the last lap. Like I said, his bike broke. Yep. He then he said bike broke. I won first moto at Binghamton, leading second moto wheel bearing went out. I led o- Oklahoma Supercross until the last lap. I slid out in the turn, and I got Miss Coors as my new girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> There's his eighty nine in a nutshell. I mean, yeah, there we go. You know? Yeah. I think this Man, is Man, I don't remember which Miss Coors that was. I remember one was just ahead of her time level of hot. Yeah. Like would stand up against anything today level hot, which I don't I don't really feel like nineteen eighty nine has that. That might have been her. And if so, it was it wasn't a good year. It was a great year. I said the blonde with huge hair, but I guess that doesn't really narrow down anybody back then. No. I, I do remember that. Every single girl in eighty nine? Yeah. Every yeah. single female. Oh, now he's calling me. So uh no. All right. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Category: okay. Where's JT? Uh, you want to read his text back? When, when yes, you asked yes, him? we have an answer. You knew he would be there with Cindy. This is local race. So JT was standing next to the finish line jump with my mom while she was scoring. She should be right next to the finish line, standing there. So there's JT. Yep, Gainesville '89, front row seat, gold. Yeah, it's fantastic. People wonder why we do these oh, Leah erasables. It's it's amazing. Um, <laughs> all right. What a race. This was so big. Uh, yeah. Kurtowski winning, Bale winning, Starbuster. Bradshaw won nine. Stanton got tired. Uh, RJ, uh, <laughs> Lachine was tired. RJ's Lachine li- didn't even get tired. He just was tired. Was tired. <laughs> RJ's, RJ's life and career changed. Um, Storbeck's career changed. Uh, yeah. Barry Karsten got 16th. Uh, that's it. I guess that and Wardy are the only things that don't change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barry will be in there hovering around the points no matter what. And Wardy will have an ankle injury and will win. <laughs> and win a photo anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, ankle slash foot. Whatever. Yeah, something like yep, that. But but still get a moto win. Yeah, absolutely. The unkillable, the unkillable Jeff Ward. <laughs> uh, oh, I said the blonde with big hair. He said, no, that was Brutus Beefcake's girlfriend. No way. I don't know, man. These texts get better and better. <laughs> so Brutus Beefcake, the wrestler. Was dating Miss Coors. Was dating Miss Coors. Which, which probably also realized why no one screwed with her, right? Like, yeah, because, hey, man. Oh, good point. Yeah. Good point. If you want this meathead steroid guy to, you know, come break you oh in two. Oh, my God. Yeah, none of the riders. Nothing for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh my god, we, we've never thing. got Dogger on one of these. We got to do it during office hours, but he'll do one. So, is that what he says? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He no do- moto outside of office hours. Yeah, that takes him away from work, so he's fine to talk moto during work hours. <laughs> but when he's done oh, work, he gold. said that's his time. So that's gold. Okay, all right. please take me away from work. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, everybody. Leah Re-Raceables, uh, Gainesville 89. Thanks to Davey for uh, stepping in as well. Uh, fantastic stuff from him. Uh, really appreciate you listening. Thank you to Decal Works, Guts, Maxis, Scott, and, of course, Leah. And also, Weege, thank you, buddy. Yep, we'll do more.